Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sancion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Yarina Sancion. Today, Suzanne Lasser and I had the pleasure of speaking with David Rogers. Executive Director to the Dual Language Education of New Mexico. With a mission to assist in the expansion of dual language education programs in New Mexico and throughout the United States. A loud and proud advocate for all dual language education, as well as educational reform. Let's listen in as Dave explains how they prepare for their annual conference, La Cosecha. Dave, to get us started, why don't you tell us about what makes La Cosecha such a dynamic event? Well, I think La Cosecha as a dynamic event or maybe a unique event is that it was born, uh, this convening, this annual convening was born out of the need for teachers and for communities simply to get together and to share promising practice in implementing a dual language program, as well as identifying maybe some of the challenges that exist and, and hearing and having others share sort of ideas about how to meet those challenges. Uh, it began back in 1996. We had um, some wonderful small grants that were provided by our state uh, Department of Education here in New Mexico, who wanted uh, dual language education to sort of make a foothold and then see how it would work with our communities. And so there was five schools at that time who were implementing uh, a dual language program, K-1. And we visited each other that first year and it just became apparent that we really wanted an opportunity to talk together about what we were learning. And, that, and so by the end of that first year uh, in 90, spring of 96 or 97, 96 it was, we uh, invited folks to gather and the, the, basically we said we wanted teachers to talk to teachers that was the primary focus and we had hoped for 30 people to gather or we were planning for 30 and we had 90. <laughs> and so we knew we were on to something and, and by the end of those two days together we agreed that we would do this annually on a regular basis and, and to this day i can say we still proudly say that cosecha is a conference by teachers for teachers, even though obviously other stakeholders and other members of our community benefit and contribute in big, big ways. It's still basically when you look at our core planning committee of about 20 folks, almost all of them have at least been a classroom teacher or are currently a classroom teacher. Um, some of them have gone on to the dark side, as my wife says, and when I became an administrator <laughs> that I left the classroom and went to the dark side. Um, some of them are retired, and they still make all the key decisions about the conference, the content. They select the pre present presentations. They they help to they help decide who the dance band will be for that year. Things like idea to include powwow for our native communities came out of um, this group. Even down to what we charge each year, 
is we have input from those from that planning committee. So I, I think that's what makes this special. I think that's the key to the recipe is it's teachers, teachers that are especially teachers that are still in the classroom, still in the schools working. They know what the needs are, the changing needs are. Um, they also know that we need to celebrate. And so even though I think we have one of the most professional conferences and one of the best places to come and add to your knowledge of dual language, add to your toolbox strategies for instruction, for program implementation, we still know that this is our opportunity to celebrate all that we do, all the best of our bilingual multicultural communities. And so you see that we not only have 190 presentations this year that focus on strategies, uh, instructional strategies, program development, our indigenous education community, um, our families, our community. But on top of that, we've got an opening reception with student performances. We have a dance um, benefit with Las Cafeteras this year from East LA. That money goes to scholarships for future teachers. Then we have the powwow on Friday. And this is a true powwow. This is the native community coming to us and saying, it's time for us to have it. We want it to be part of Cosecha. And it's actually organized and focused on our native community here in the Albuquerque area this year. But we're also, as non-natives, we're also invited to come and observe and to participate in this very powerful tradition that, that our native communities have. So I think those are sort of the components that make Cosecha unique to other to other events like ours out there. So you share so much, even just the name La Cosecha, which is the harvest to me speaks volume, right? Because when we harvest is to sustain us until the next harvest, right? So it's so beautiful that it's a yearly event. People can come back and as I like to say, drink from the well and get nourished again, right? Would you say that there's something maybe different about this particular year and your 26th year that you're doing or in the light of COVID? Yeah, I mean, last year, last year was a scary year for everyone. I think it's less scary now, but still the challenges are, are here. The pandemic is real. We're still losing members of our community and we have to remember that and do all we can to, to support ourselves and stay as safe as possible. But last year, you know, where many, many conferences or many organizations postponed on their annual convention or they, they opted for a smaller convening uh, virtually, we just knew people still needed to stay connected, no matter how, 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 how hard times were, and how how tired people were already last fall with being, you know, being in a Zoom room, being in, you know, in in a virtual mm. platform. But we went ahead and held it as a hundred percent virtual um, conference, and we still had three thousand people join us, which was just amazing. I guess it just answered this the question of will they come. And do they need, you know, do they feel the same need as we do as a planning committee, as a staff, as a board to be to, to be connected in some way? And and they did. They, they, they came. It was a wonderful conference. We took our planning committee to Santa Fe, which was going to be the site of the convention, and we put them in two hotels. We were like the only people in town and we ran the virtual platform from from the El Dorado and the La Fonda hotels in Santa Fe. And we had one live stage. We had one stage where we had in-person presenters who, um, who were streamed out to the folks. And we, and we used that stage for our plenary sessions and for some of our more 
special presentations. And we had Dr. Jose Medina and Dr. Kathy Escamilla who joined us as well as our Secretary of Ed, Ryan Stort here from the state of New Mexico. And, and uh, it was, just, and we had Dr. Joseph Suina from Cochiti Pueblo who came, it was the first time he had left the Pueblo during the pandemic. He came out and he was, he had to be back to the Pueblo before they shut down the gates um, wow. because native communities were facing this, you know, they cannot afford, they can't afford to lose any of their elders. Why did he come for Cosecha or why did he leave Cosecha? Because Cosecha talks about the value of language and culture and how we have these treasures in our community, especially when we talk about our native communities, where when we lose an elder, we lose language, we lose cultural knowledge. And so um, that was just, it's going to make me cry right now, just thinking about how he wow. snuck out of the Pueblo because he felt it important to do this live and then was uh, running out the door to, to make the the curfew, the deadline before the, the, the community shut, shut down. So we did it last year. We knew that people would join us then virtually. And this year we're doing our first hybrid. And so we actually we actually promoted or marketed the, this year's event as a virtual event, saying that we were going to make the decision about in-person come July or come the end of July. I never, I've never gotten threatening uh, emails from our community before, but I did this year because folks were saying, don't you dare not have an in-person. You know, there was just such a need for folks to come together. So it, we did make that decision and we opened in-person registration at the end of July. And, and, and about 50% of our attendees will be in-person this year. We're sitting at about 1,000 in-person and right now about 1,200 virtual participants. And I think that number, uh, people can continue uh, to register for the virtual experience uh, through, through until the conference uh, happens and begins on November 10th. So. I love that threat. Make sure you have an in-person component. It just speaks <laughs> to how we really do need that human connection, especially when it comes to language and culture. It's all part of that beautiful picture. We've talked a lot about La Cosecha and I definitely can hear there are some very rewarding aspects of the conference, whether it's being threatened to make sure there's an in-person component or being able to have uh, more of the Native communities really participating. But Dave, why don't you share with our listeners, what are some things that you do when you're not focused on La Cosecha? Or what do you feel most called to do, right, as the executive director in terms of where you need to put your focus? And so, you know, many people know us um, because of the La Cosecha conference, but actually we, we have 12 committed staff, full-time staff, and probably two about two dozen colleagues and, and they do they're not full-time staff but they they do contract with us to support schools and school districts uh, around the country the design implementation of their program models as well as instructional supports and so since 2005 soon after we had published the guiding principles for dual language education with the center for applied linguistics that's really still to this day our foundational um, document, if you will, that we've developed a series of uh, leadership and instructional frameworks, leadership development supports, uh, instructional framework supports that are offered to uh, our school partners, districts and individual schools. So we spend a lot of time 
on the road. Right now, my staff, and a shout out to them, they are traveling a lot after last year having to cancel so much, so much of our on-site professional learning uh, su- supports that we, that we provide. We shifted all of those to a virtual platform so we could still continue to support our school partners. But now we're back. Uh, we just had a group come back from Hawaii last week, those poor things. They were working with the Department of Ed there. <laughs> Um, the hazards of the job, huh? <laughs> but tra- tra- traveling is a lot, a lot more difficult these days. And so there is a shout out to my staff because right now they are traveling more than they ever have, sort of catching up on work or, or community uh, connection they missed last year. But it's hard with all the different policies and all that you need to know about the states you're going to or the countries. We've been to Costa Rica since and in the summer to provide some supports for a partner school there, you know, things are changing. Every airline's got a different set of policies. Every hotel's got a different way of booking. The the school districts themselves are often changing the professional learning sites on us because their policy says, okay, no outsiders coming into the school. So then they move, they move our, you know, professional learning site to a community center or to, you know, another location. And so, we're having to change, uh, constantly be flexible. But our commitment was true from the beginning. If teachers are expected to be back in school, if, if the kids are coming back to the school, who would we be if we didn't get back into providing that on-site professional learning? And overall, it's been extremely positive, but that's where we spend most of our time. And right now, most of our resources and just trying to get that piece right. We want our, we want our communities to feel supported uh, so shout out to our, our, our communities now. I mean, we already had a teacher shortage before going into this pandemic, but that's gotten it's gotten um, more profound in many ways. And then we have this this uh, shortage of substitutes that's across the country. And so we're having to do a number of things, even with technology, in order to like. So we do hybrid events where we're we're in the we're in the school training seven teachers, but there's 14 online, right? So we've got. We've got cameras and, and, and special audio um, devices set up so everyone's getting the same uh, information as clearly as possible. But that's where we spend most of our time. And uh, we've got uh, instructional frameworks for language and literacy and for biliteracy and for math. You know, all of that can be found at our website, dlenm.org. And I just wanted to say a little bit about our approach is we're not a drive-by organization. Um, the phone never stops ringing. We, we're not trying to get more business. We have more than we can do. We're looking for that partnership. I, I think I've been referring to our schools as our, our partner schools. Um, you know, we can't come in and do an hour uh, session with your entire staff that's going to change your, your math scores for there. It's just impossible. We know that the best professional learning is ongoing. It is cyclical. It is a reflective process where we, we start to define what mastery looks like of the use of certain strategies and how we engage with our students. And we need to be in that cycle of reflect, professional reflection. And so we're looking for schools that just don't want a quick fix looking for schools to partner with that are looking for you know a, a two-year a three-year relationship where we can come in and do some front loading with some new instructional strategies and then engage with them in that professional reflective cycle to get us to a place where this is really making an impact on our on first on, our, on the way we approach our students in our classroom communities but second on how well of course the school the, the students do academically linguistically and socioculturally as well 
So we have that approach and that's where we spend most of our time. Cosecha used to be the biggest thing we do, but now it's actually, it's still a very big thing, but it, you know, that, that takes up a couple of our months in the fall, really. Um, our staff is, is, is out there in schools each and every day. And it's, and that's the exciting part of, of our mission. Really refreshing to hear what you said about this, the understanding of, you know, it can't be a drive-by. It has to be a true partnership where there is an ongoing commitment to be reflective and to look at things both vertically and horizontally because dual language and bilingual and multilingual um, learning it is hard work and it's ongoing work. So that, that's wonderful to hear and to think that La Cosecha is just the smallest part of what you do when most people may only think about your organization in terms of this amazing annual event. So thank you for sharing that. Yes, um, I, I also wanted to add, I heard you say such beautiful things about, about impact. That's the word that, that uh, resonated for me. Your impact is national and international. Your impact is about being flexible, like true educators are every single day. And your impact is about commitment and reflection. And um, I, I really appreciate you highlighting that and, and that really comes through in your, we're in a unique time, of course, in our country, not only because of COVID, but also exciting news that we have Dr. Cardona at the helm. And we have large numbers of people migrating right now where last year there was less movement. Now we have Haitian, Central and South American, Afghanistan brothers and sisters migrating. What do you see for our future and what is your hope? You know, as far as this, let's say, rethinking diversity <laughs> and mm. different needs. So this is really, really, uh, that's a great question. And I'm not saying that, I'm saying that with all seriousness. You know, New Mexico doesn't receive or has not historically received a lot of refugees. I shouldn't say that. And there has been times in our history when we have, and uh, we were just seeing that move up until the pandemic hit. And then there was, of course, there was a it sort of came to a halt but we're getting back into that now so all i have to say is new mexico itself as it's our corazón of of everything we do we don't have a lot of experience with um with that kind of diversity um but we are now we now have a great need like the rest of the country is going to have yes i mean i think we, we talk daily about those refugees that are, are coming from uh, afghanistan you know those kids and, and those families and of course Haiti received movement there. You know, this is an important time for us to double down, if you will, on the whole idea of what does equity and access mean for, for our students. We know that we still have the historically underserved populations that are near and dear to our hearts. About 80% of the populations of the communities that we serve are lower socioeconomic communities, Title I schools. You know, we have a lot of experience with that, but it's still mostly Hispanic Latino students, as well as white or non-Hispanic peers that are dominant English students that are sort of like most of the programs that we that we serve. We also serve in tribal language communities. But now that we have patients coming to us, we have a greater number of Afghanistans that will be coming to us. I'm sure we'll be hitting Albuquerque soon. We need to make sure that the culturally linguistic responsive ability of our teachers, whether that's in choosing the curriculum or developing the curriculum that they put forth the students, 
or the instru the CLR instruction instructional approach that they, they approach builds on the linguistic and the cultural assets of all of the students that are in this, this the classroom. That doesn't change. We always say that if we don't if we don't address the sociocultural promise of dual language programs, then it's not a dual language program, right? But what we have to get back to now is we have to be serious about that. We may have we may be experienced with implementation of a dual language program for let's say native and native Spanish speakers and native English speakers coming into a two-way environment or a one-way program where we have mostly native Spanish speakers. But now what do we do if we start getting Haitians who speak Creole or or Afghanis that are coming now into the programs. How does that change things up? We do know those programs exist. They're in Chicago has had a long history of dual language education where Spanish and English might be the program languages of focus, but yet they have, you know, 17 or 18 different um, cultural backgrounds represented in the, in the students that they're getting. So English and Spanish may not be may not even be a heritage language for the student that's entering into the program. This is a new area for us to, for us at DLNM to get into. But we do know, and we have worked with some of those schools that are that have greater diversity than, than the schools that we are normally working with. And we do know it begins with how we approach our students and our families. We have to make sure that when they enter into the classroom, there is no perception that they're supposed to leave their language or their cultural at the door. It is to be brought into the classroom and it is to become part of what we teach and how we teach. Um, and that's something that we are very focused on in, in, at DLNM. Um, we have a, an, an internal evaluation framework that we've been working on that is that we're trying to use ongoing to make sure that what anything that we offer or anything we engage in is actually helping teachers to make that connection better, stronger, deeper with the students and the families that they serve. And for us serving teachers in those classrooms, we've got to be able to hold ourselves to that same level of accountability. And so therefore we've been working on this evaluation framework that's uh, probably be ready to reveal uh, to the general public next year. Because even though it's an internal evaluation framework for ourselves, we do think it's gonna have benefits for, for the school partners that we are, that we are engaged with. Well, when uh, when that happens, be sure to reach out to me and Yarina. We'd love to have you guys come back on Bilingual in America, the podcast, and, and share a little bit because um, I have all kinds of smiles and questions and wonderings uh, just about that. But One of the things that, um, that we discovered about you is just like in your 30 years of service, you've just been so diverse and varied. You were a bilingual special ed teacher, and you've been a dual language classroom teacher, and a program coordinator, and, and a principal, and and were involved in the Peace Corps. And, and I'm sure all those pieces have contributed and defined the leader that you've become. In what other ways do you think you speak your beauty? Oh my gosh, I just know that for me as a person today, I'm very much conscious always of my family, which comes first. And I'm, mar I'm married to a, an incredible um, dual language educator who, who identifies as Mexicana. And my children, our children, identify as, as Mexican-American. And, and of course, um, I'm, the, I'm the papi huero. You know, I'm the, I'm the white person <laughs> in the family, right? And, uh, and that sets up for some interesting, beautiful moments, you know, like when my 13 year old 
child with Down syndrome corrects my Spanish. You know, this is the kind of thing that <laughs> that really brings beauty. But I just think that, you know, the, the, the reason why I became involved with dual language education is not because of what my parents gave me, but it was what it was what my community gave me when I was in the Peace Corps. I, I, I um, in essence, joined the Peace Corps in order to maybe escape the, the rut that I was in, in, in my, in my childhood. And I love my parents, but there were some, there was some things from that I was getting from the community that was just restrictive as far as you know, the, there wasn't a message of, of, I can do anything that I want. It was a message of this is your life, you know, working class um, community, which I love to this day. It's just, maybe I was going to be in, in a, a member of the working class for the rest of my life, but I wanted to see what else was out there. And so the Peace Corps was an honorable way to leave my community. I took three months of language lessons. Castellano is what I received in Peace Corps. And then I went to a community that, that only the teachers spoke Spanish. And the 80 families that I lived with all spoke Guarani, an indigenous tongue mm. that to this day is, is actually spoken by more Paraguayos than, 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 than Castellano. Um, Spanish is still the business and higher education language, but uh, Guarani is the, is the language of the people. And so what would happen in school is these incredible kids we were, in, we, we were working with um, would, self, would opt out of school by second or third grade because they could not master the Spanish language, or they had just decided they didn't want to put any more time into that. And very honorably left to go work in the fields and work within, in, in cut sugarcane or pick cotton or um, several of the, we were an agricultural community. And there was no dishonor in that in the community, but there was something that spoke to me and said, well, how could we not, these, these, these students who spoke Guanani were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. And what, what options were they giving up because the school system did not utilize their language or, or embrace their language? And that's when I came back to New York uh, when I went to grad school and heard about dual language education. So my beauty was shown to me first by Dr. Ruth Sweeney, uh, a Colombiana who, works in the New York, who, who worked for many years in the New York City school system and, and was, a, was a principal, was an administrator, was a, an educational leader. And when I saw that happening, it just all kind of made sense to me. And uh, I committed myself to, to developing these programs, you know, in my, at least in my own classroom at first, and then um, never thought that I would be part of a nonprofit that was, that was promoting this across the country and certain parts of the world. So my beauty is that it was a gift to me as, let's say, a tonto, a, a little, <laughs> a little tonto, I, I, I'll say, that I knew, I knew, knew no better um, until I was um, just absolutely enlightened by this small community in, in Paraguay, South America. It was just an incredible an incredible rebirth for me. And I didn't know where I fit in that. And maybe that's why you have that long list of positions that I've had in my educational career. I was kind of always looking for my niche. I knew that as a, as a, a non, a person of non-color that I would need to, if I did have a leadership position, it would have to be from the side or as a, as a, um, as a conspirator, right. And in, in helping push the the, the mission, the movement forward. And I'm still, I'm still challenged with that in my life, but it's still a beauty. And I am so 
grateful that during this pandemic, that sociocultural movement, that political movement has come out from under the covers, have come out from under the rug. And I am committed, as, as I know my staff and my board and, and all of us in this community are committed to making sure that it's never swept under the rug again. It is alive. We are going to deal with it. We are going to make sure that it becomes part of our foundational knowledge and the way we approach education if we are to transform it. And our educational system needs exactly that, a transformation. And so that's where we are today. And that's, and I hope that was the right response because I think that's what's beautiful in this moment. And I can sit here and complain about all the things that aren't going right right now in the world, but that's what's beautiful about this moment. And I'm so honored to be um, still working um, in this community to, to make change. Oh, thank you for that response. And um, and thank you for following your calling. And and I, I think one of the most impactful things that you've, you've said so many beautiful things, but certainly what I'm gonna walk away with is don't leave your language and culture at the door. That is a beautiful, beautiful commitment to honoring oneself. And in your journey, that's what you did. You honored yourself. And in doing so, you are of service to others. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you both. Well, David, as we wrap up, we wanna make sure that our listeners know that they definitely can still join virtually to participate in La Cosecha, which is running November 10th through the 13th, and that they should look for other opportunities to partner with DLENM. And Yarina and I, thank you, and the leadership team, along with Leslie Sanchez, for giving so much of your time and access to the amazing participants we'll be presenting at this upcoming conference. Thank you. Thank you very much. This will be the 26th annual La Cosecha Dual Language Educational Conference. Organized by teachers for teachers, this year's program is filled with professional presentations, networking opportunities, and many ways to celebrate. We gather this November 10th through the 13th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Our very first hybrid La Cosecha is both virtual and in-person. So, grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, and let's learn and grow together. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.